BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We have a special guest on the Run and Plays podcast. It is Damian Lee. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, hanging in there. I mean, obviously, you know, with all this craziness that's going on, but trying my best to stay sane. Yeah. Uh, things are starting to gear up again, too, in the NBA. You've got 22 teams going to Orlando. You also have teams like the Warriors working out at home. Um, I'm seeing some of those videos on the social media accounts, and I was wondering if you could take us behind the scenes a little bit as players are getting to go back into the facility. What time do you get there? How long do you work out? Who else is in the gym with you? Are trainers there? Like, can you kind of just take us behind the scenes of what your, what your off-season is like right now? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I wake up around 7.15, um, Wake up, you know, probably go take the dogs for a walk. Uh, come back, leave around 8-ish, 8.15. It's like, you know, 20, 30-minute drive, try to get to the gym. There's two main workout slots, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Uh, max of four guys can be in the gym because we have four baskets. Um, so, yeah, you know, just get there do the normal stuff I would do before regular practice, treatment, rehab, uh, do a quick lift, and then get on the court for about 45 minutes to an hour. Then go to the weight room for about the same time, uh, get a stretch, get some lunch, and go home. Normally home around like 12.30, 1 p.m. Are you wearing a mask? What, what kind of protocols yeah, so, are there? Uh, yeah. when, you drive, when you drive up, um, you, know, you get your temperature checked every single day. Um, we do testing, I believe it's every nine or 10 days. So like if it's Monday, the next week, it's the following Thursday. So this week it will be uh, this upcoming Thursday, uh, the COVID testing. And yeah, you wear a mask when you enter the facility. The only time you're not wearing a mask is when you're in the room. Um, but besides that, yeah, you're masked up. I uh, have to change you, you know, your shoes when you, from when you first walk in to, you know, your basketball shoes or your socks or whatever. So pretty strict, but I mean, I feel like in the past month and a half, we've kind of gotten a nice uh, routine and nice rhythm with it. So it's solid. Yeah. Who are, there's four courts that you can work on, four baskets. Who tends to be in the gym at the same time as you? Uh, see, I have the first. So it's myself, Juan, uh, Loon, and Steph. I normally like the early group. Then it's uh, EP, JP, Kai, Marquise are in the uh, secondary group. Very cool. And, uh, I mean, you know, I like to do great analytics on our show. So give me some shooting percentages, man. What, what, what are we shooting here? Give me effective shooting percentage, you know, three-point percentage, your offensive rating, all that stuff. Well, trying to take a lot of those mid-ranges out, you know, those unnecessary uh, mid-ranges, trying to stick to the strengths. So, um, you know, 
trying to focus in on those strengths, of course, you know, catch and shoot, sort of little floaters, touching stuff around the basket. Uh, trying to, you know, the, the plan is to obviously become, you know, 40% at least from three. So um, it's definitely been a main goal for this offseason, just trying to, you know, hammer at it. Can't really give you numbers, you know, trying to keep those close to the chest, but uh, definitely trying to aim for that. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you the 40%. I'm just, I'm just going to write that down. You know, I'll tweet that out later. Uh, question for you about that though. So in terms of your own development, while you're going in, just as we're talking about looking forward to next season, now you're finally able to work out again. Um, is there something in particular that you're really focused on? Are you, are you, are you changing your shot at all? Is there something that you can do that you said, I am looking forward to working on this for the next few months? Yeah, um, I'd say probably three main things. I mean, one is just, you know, the consistent – well, one is, you know, trying to get my uh, offhand out of, out of my shot. I know that that's one thing that's, you know, I've been trying to focus on the last couple of years. But actually having the, you know, time uh, to be able to put in the time now to do it. But just doing that, trying to get a stronger base in my, in my legs, put more strength there, and then just consistency. Um, you know, I feel like that's the main thing with – in regards to shooters, you know, in this league or guys that can, you know, really score, really shoot the ball, just doing it, the consistency at a high clip. So, you know, that's that's really my main focus, uh, you know, going into this offseason. You know, I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. But it's a matter of, you know, getting my strengths even stronger and then building my weaknesses up as they go. And and just one more question based on that. Sorry, Kareth, about that. No, um, I'm just – when I look at your role from last season, right, and you got to play a lot of minutes, heavy minutes, uh, starting to guard, looking forward to next year, if Clay and Steph are healthy and a different roster, is a good chance that you'd be coming off the bench back into that type of role. Do you think that's going to change the way you, your mindset when you go out there? Does it, do you have to change the way you approach the game when you look at the different roles? Not really. I mean, um, I, I – I don't mean to say it like this, but I kind of like prefer coming off the bench at times because, you know, you're able to see the game flow. You're able to see like, you know, what may work or what adjustments, you know, you can make when you go in the game. Um, but I mean, my game pretty much stays the same, you know, whatever, you know, the coaches need from me, if it's play the one, two, three or four, whatever is asked of me, you know, I'm gonna go out there and try to do the best of my ability. Uh, obviously have an open shot, shoot it, but, you know, I kind of like, coming off the bench to be able to, you know, read the game flow, see where I can attack, see where I can get other guys involved, and then, you know, just try to come in and make, an, uh, make a positive impact for, you know, the team. You have a really good head on your shoulders and a good vision for what kind of player you want to be, what kind of team you want to be on. And I was thinking about something that you said last season when your contract situation solidified. You're like, now I want to turn two years into ten years. What kind of big picture things have you been thinking about for your career and even how that fits with the Warriors wanting to be contenders again? Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, you know, in order to even turn two out of 10, you know, my main thing is, uh, you know, just staying healthy. Um, you know, just having healthy, having that longevity, showing that, um, you know, I'm, I'm durable and I can play throughout a whole year without having, you know, injuries. Obviously, there'll be minor injuries, but, you know, being able to withstand that and play. But then just knowing that, you know, there's uh, – I always joke about it. Like, there's a pecking order for a reason. There's guys that are going to get paid, you know, north of $30 million, and their role is going to be different from the guys that are getting paid, you know, minimums or even on the mid-level. So, you know, it's just understanding what your role is. And I think I, 
I really got a great base of that from when I was in college, you know, being a younger guy coming in as a freshman. Yeah, I started, but I didn't really have, you know, as much of an impact as I could have early on. I had to go through bumps and bruises, and then I had a great game, and then my confidence kind of took off. And it was like, all right, whatever role the coach needs me to play, that's what I'm going to do because that's what the greats have done. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why those guys are getting paid that money because they're the star players, but everyone else has to fall in line. And there's been plenty of guys that have been role players that have done well for their career. Right, you said two things I have to follow up on. First of all, this idea of staying healthy, but also the dudes who get paid a lot. One of those is Steph Curry. Let's talk about health first, because I've always had this conflict with this idea of like players have to stay healthy. Okay, what does that mean? Because some of these injuries are completely freak. They're out of your control. Um, and I feel like that can lend to like some unfair reputation things like, oh, this guy isn't durable. So what is actually within an athlete's power? when it comes to this idea of staying healthy? I'd say three things. One's strength, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether the consistency in you lifting um, and doing the right lifts for your body because everyone's body's different. Um, your conditioning, just the stamina, just being able to go out there and knowing when you're fatigued, knowing when to take things back. And then, um, what did I say? Strength conditioning. Wow, why am I blanking on the last thing? Damn. Oh, well, we can cut that. Let's say two things. Strength and conditioning. Um, I, oh, no, sorry. Last thing. Duh. Bring it back. Nutrition. Nutrition um, is huge. I mean, obviously, you know, guys, just being able to know what to eat, how to eat the right things, or even if you have, you know, a couple bad days, then you can lock right back in or have two weeks of, you know, eating healthy and eating proper. Um, I feel like those are the three main things that, you know, can contribute to an athlete, you know, being healthy, you know, trying to stay away from as much bread and chips. Um, <laughs> it's, it's tough, you know, when, you know, you just need to grab and go, but, you know, trying to, you know, make uh, the healthiest food choices as possible. Is there a player in the league anytime in NBA history, if you could wave a magic wand and like touch his forehead and be like, you will never be injured for all of your career. Who would that player be? I mean, I have, I feel like I have to say LeBron, right? Say who you want to say. Oh, oh, wait, are you saying like that it's happened or someone that Yeah, died? you can, okay, I guess you can erase anyone's injuries that they've, that they've ever had. Um, can I pick, can I, can I pick a couple people? Yes. All right, Penny, for sure. Mm -hmm. T-Mac. Okay. Grant Hill. Oh, one more. Sorry. Brandon Roy, too. Oh, man. He was so tough. Wow. That's a good list. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. That's actually – I don't think I can think of anyone. Sean Livingston. Oh, yeah. oh. Derek Rose. Yeah. Oh, Derek Rose would be a good one, too. Yeah. Huh. Brandon Roy, though, that's a good one. That didn't come to mind right away until you said it, and it was like, oh. It would have been interesting to see what Greg Oden could do as well had he, you know, carried that momentum from college. Yeah. Okay. I know that was a tough one. Okay. Uh, Grant, <laughs> your go. Okay. Okay. Uh, now I have to think on the fly. That Brandon Roy one, by the way, if you ever look at his numbers and Grant Hill, you mentioned it well, if you look at their numbers before injury, I mean, they were putting up stats. Different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dude, got it. And then even like T-Mac too with, you know, like, I think 
think I saw something. It was like T Mac basically had like back problems like coming out of high school. So like mm-hmm. it was kind of one of those things. And like not saying that it was a matter of time, but like, you know, it was but if you look at the run that he had even when he was, you know, obviously Orlando, uh what's the name? But when he was in Houston, it was like, yo, this like what? This this dude is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean there was a period where you know, you'd look at the pure scores of the league and it was like him and Kobe Bryant were probably head to head there for a couple of years. Kobe obviously outlasted him. And just in terms of his length of his career and playing at that elite level for so long and winning championships, but just pure offensive scoring, man, T-Mac in his prime. Woo! Yeah. Very nice. Um, all right. So I'm just gonna, one thing you did say in there, and this is important. You said nutrition and then you said no chips and no bread then what are you cooking at home? And first of all, well, okay, who is cooking? Are you cooking or is Sadell cooking? That, that's, that's number one. And number two is what are we cooking? So Sadell cooked most of the quarantine. Uh, I think the past, well, even when she was away and then, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've been cooking more, just trying to try out different things. Um, so I think my go-to is probably uh, baked salmon, a little bit of rice, some uh, spinach or carrots. Um, baked wings, do a lot of things baked. Yeah, try not to eat as much fried. Um, but yeah, like I'll do whether it's salmon, chicken. Uh, I really don't get complacent with meals. Like if I wanted, I would eat cereal every single day. Um, just, I'm, you know, very low maintenance. Um, but yeah, just, I try to do double bro, double protein, double protein and uh double greens so have like broccoli and spinach or carrots and asparagus or zucchini so just try to you know stay away from uh you know whether it's breads chips you know grain rice and stuff like that if you form a cool like tandem with another guy in the league will you call it double protein yeah trademark that double protein (laughs) actually i actually like that a lot Double protein. I love that. All right, listen. I want to blow you up because I think I saw you put some chicken and waffles on your Instagram recently. I think that was a specialty. Everything in moderation. That's delicious. That was a cheat day. I I I had to. I was. I knew that I was going to make chicken, and for some reason I wanted breakfast for dinner. And uh, you know exactly. You know, just having one cheat day a week isn't bad. Mm-hmm. And the chicken and waffles, obviously, it wasn't as good as Roscoe's. I think it was better, if you ask me. <laughs> you mentioned that you tend to work out with um, Juan and Steph, like guys who are on the court at the same time. And Juan said something pretty cool lately. You know, like he grew up idolizing the Warriors. He's from Oakland. Now he's playing alongside Steph. And when he sees Steph shoot and when he sees the work that he does to be the best, it's just mind-boggling for Juan. Like, what do you think it is that makes Steph tick? How does he have that kind of stroke? And what kind of work did he do to get to this point? I mean, I, I feel like if you, I mean, obviously he's one of the, he revolutionized the game, right? But if you look at, you know, him, uh, Clay, you know, Draymond, I think and in a sense, a lot of guys that are on this team, I mean, even EP, you know, JP, Juan, myself, Kai, Loon, like, we're all guys that have a chip. Um, and whether, you know, we were doubted when we were younger, coming out of the draft, going to a low major, or going to a high major, or going to schools that may not be always in the forefront of these Power Five conferences, 
you know, guys have always had a chip. And um, I mean, obviously, you guys, you know, everyone's seen what Steph's done the last 10, 11 years. But, you know, you just have to give credit for guys for keeping that consistent chip and that want to be great. Um, there's some people that, you know, make it in the league and they, you know, make it and they get their first deal, their second deal, and kind of, you know, level off and get complacent. But if you look at, you know, like all the guys that I've mentioned, it's like everyone strives for more. Like we want more. Like, cool, the first deal is great. The, or for them, the first championship was great. It's like you want more. And that's just like, um, what do they call it? I guess in, intestinal fortitude, I guess. Is that what that is called? So it's just like having that and knowing that you want more and there's no extrinsic reward for it. It's all inside. That's the dopest part. How much of this stuff for like Steph or Clay or other people like yourself, like take me into the mind of a shooter. How much is God given and how much of it is extra work you put on top of that? Like how much can you improve a shot versus what are you born with as a natural athlete? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like some people are just born with it. Um, obviously just the coordination aspect of it comes, but I think one thing that uh, I don't, and I guess I haven't studied it enough long enough to see you can teach it, but touch. Like if you look at all shooters, they have amazing touch and it's whether on their, their jumpers or their floaters or free throw. Like there's not many like boing and it bounces back to like half court or hard misses where it like almost breaks the backboard, you know? So I feel like touch is probably the thing that is probably worked on the most, but I think some people just, just have it. And, I mean, but then you look at a guy like Kawhi who came in the league and wasn't really known as much of a shooter. And, you know, he can, he can knock down 37, 38% from three. And so a lot of it is work ethic. I'd say probably 80% and then probably 20% is just like, God, but that 20% for some people can be, you know, 80%. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, where it goes from there. Yeah. Let me be real literal for a second, too, when it comes to touch. Steph broke his hand. You broke your hand. How do you get that touch back? Uh, just reps. Just reps. Putting in reps, the consistency. Um, I think, well, obviously, the way we both broke our hands were two different ways. Um, he broke his non-shooting hand, so he was still able to, you know, use his right, you know, to even get that touch. But if you look at his left-hand touch, it's still amazing. Um, when I broke my right hand the first time, I was in a cast for three and a half months. So even got to the point where I was shooting like jumpers left-handed, like now I can confidently go to the free throw line and shoot a left-handed free throw if I wanted. But like, it's probably like in the 60% or so, 60s, 70s. But like, what's the, you know what I mean? Like, there's no point in doing that. Just use my left hand throughout the game. But I think it's just reps. It's reps and touch, reps, touch. And uh, I feel like once you get to a certain point, like with hard work and the consistency, it's kind of just like maintenance, right? It's like you just continue to smooth things out. And then once you get to a point, you're, you know, you're just, you're, you're straight sailing. So when you're in workouts or practice last year and – do you ever just look over at Clay and Steph shooting every now and then just be like, maybe a little awe, a little just, just, just focusing in just to watch it happen? Because I, I, everything I hear about these guys' workouts is it's, 
it's what you'd expect that they just just pound out this shot after shot just make make after make yeah um i like to yeah just you know sometimes if it's a day where i know that they're getting like their own rhythm in and their own reps and just sit down and watch and see if there's anything that you know i've done or could implement um like i said obviously everyone's shot is different but there's also a lot of times where like i'd want to get you know into a competition with them and if we're doing like a team shooting drill with like bigs and smalls on each end like i want to compete against that because it's like i know they're two of the best to ever do it i want to see where i rank whether if i beat them one day or they beat me it's just trying to you know always stay in that in that uh you know level of competition are there any guys that have ever surprised you when they go into the competition they win like is like looney ever come in there and just beat them or something like that uh well it's it's tough because the bigs are normally on one end and then the guards was probably like all guards going um i mean there was a lot of times last year where like quinn would be up there um i think there was a couple times this year that like i won but it's not like i'm like beating my chest and you know winning. it's like i feel like i can hang so that's where like that confidence comes in there's even a couple times where jp won so it's like it's just a matter of, you know, if guys get hot at the right time. So. Right. Uh, so going back to what you're saying about the chip on the shoulder. Now, a lot of the guys you mentioned, actually most of the team came in, as you said, not at these big powerhouse confer uh, conferences or schools and they weren't highly touted to a level that they just were put on a pedestal early on. But one guy that was was Andrew Wiggins. And he might have a chip on his shoulder for a different reason now because he came into the league and then he just, people have chastised his game and really, you know, they, there's a lot of naysayers out there about his career thus far that he had in Minnesota. So first of all, what is your impression of Andrew Wiggins and this is a little time you've spent with him just last season. And what do you see as his potential moving forward with the team? I love Wiggs. Um, this is like, he's, he's quiet and reserved, but even from, you know, the point of just playing with him from, you know, the first game even until the last game that we had, like, you could tell that, like, he knows how to play the game and wants to continue to learn more. You know, there's there's some guys that have been in the league and, you know, not necessarily don't want to learn, but, you know, are stuck in whatever ways. Um, and that's across the league. That's, that's, that's just the reality of it. Like, some guys do that. But, like, just loving Wiggs, man, he's, he, he's been great, um, you know, obviously bought in uh I don't know it's 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 just dope having him I mean and then even on like the flip side like we had D'Lo like love D'Lo too like love playing with him love this I mean obviously that's all business stuff I don't you know get into any of that but it's like having those two guys uh you know be within the organization throughout the year I mean I couldn't complain uh you know with either of them I just I mean, obviously, we, we didn't win as many games as we wanted to this year. But, you know, it's just a matter of growth and learning. And, uh, you know, definitely tip my hat off to, you know, both of those guys. And just when you're watching him just play, just for the sake of fans wondering about his game, because, again, they're not as familiar as well because they haven't gotten a chance to see him play. You know, he came into the league saying he has all the tools and the size to do, you know, be with the best players in the league. Do you see those tools and skills while you're watching him play, whether in practice, working out, or just in the games? Yeah, definitely. I mean, can shoot it, can make plays, can create. I mean, he had, he had, and you know, the couple games that he played with us, I think he had a game where he had ten assists. Uh, 
Then he had another game where he had 10 rebounds. So it's like he has it. And, you know, obviously once, you know, the whole band is back together and, you know, you have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and Loon, and, you know, everyone's healthy. Uh, I feel like Wig's role will be carved out and, you know, he'll be able to excel to the best of his ability. Wiggins had to step into a really unique situation and I think getting traded isn't ever easy. You know, suddenly you go from a team you've known for years to like, poof, you're in a different situation with different expectations. How did you see him handle that? Like what was his attitude with Wiggins this season? Uh, it was it was it was great. I mean he came in just, you know, what if it was any questions or it was it was anything that he wanted to know, he'd ask. Um you know, there was some games where he'd like ask me something or even I'd ask him and, you know, just that uh, trying to trying to trying to be a sponge and just trying to learn as much about the culture and about how we did things versus how he did it in Minnesota. Um, and that's that's how you know, like that someone wants to be great. You know, they keep asking questions. They get engulfed in just asking and learning and watching film. And, you know, I mean, as, as you guys saw, you know, there was there was some games where he, he was still trying to get, like, adjusted, but then there was other games where he just took over because, you know, that's the talent that he has. So pretty cool to see that from uh, from someone who, you know, came on the team so late throughout the season. But, you know, like I said before, there's definitely going to be a role for him that's going to be carved out, and I feel like he'll take full advantage of it. Yeah, I'm excited to see that role next season. I'm excited to see what you guys do as a collective and maybe the hunger that you bring to, to being contenders again. How do the Warriors become contenders again next season? Is there a formula for this? Like, what are the most important things you guys need to do? Um, I mean, I, most important is obviously stay healthy. Um, and then go for, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously going to be different. I feel like next year will probably be one of the, weirdest years that the NBA has had in regards to however this season ends to when next season begins. I mean, yeah. as of right now, we're potentially going to have nine months or, well, depending on what happens with, you know, the upcoming stuff, we could have five months or nine months max of not playing basketball, not playing in a game. So it's just a matter of getting in a rhythm, uh, guys knowing their roles, going out there and playing. And uh, you know, I feel like we stay healthy. And everyone just goes out there and plays hard, plays for each other. I feel like uh, you know, there's a chance. But I'm not the best at this, like, rah-rah, like, make predictions, all this stuff. Because, you know, I just, first and foremost, I just want to play. And then second of all, like, you know, the basketball guys are going to do whatever they're going to do. All right, so I'm going to write down that Damian just said the Warriors will win the title next season. Uh, I don't have a pen on me. You said it was a megaphone, actually? Yeah, yeah, I did. Did you hear that? Uh, Yeah, maybe the audio cut out there for a second. I thought I heard that. Um, So speaking of, let's just talk about the bubble really quickly in Orlando. Um, You know, we don't need to talk about whether it should be happening or not or any of that. More importantly, uh, for you, just in a personal level, if you guys had to play, like, would you, do you think you had been physically ready in a couple weeks to all of a sudden be playing in games like that? Because it just, it snuck up on you. And all of a sudden it's around the corner and a lot of these guys need to compete at the highest level and then jump into playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be the, uh, probably the most interesting thing to see is how, I guess, how the scrimmages go. Um, so obviously, you know, teams probably haven't been playing five on five, uh, you know, probably just having a workout. So, you know, being able to go down there once they're all settled in and 
you know, the scrimmages go and then, you know, the games start. I think it's 54 days until the playoffs. So that's that's a lot to ramp up uh, in a short amount of time. But you know, the good thing is I feel like once the initial idea of the bubble started, I feel like a lot of guys started locking back in. So whether, you know, guys put on quarantine 15 or whatever, you know, guys started locking back in to, uh, you know, get ready to compete. Because, I mean, this, this championship is – it's – going to be pretty difficult. There's no momentum riding into it. There's no, it's, you know, you have the three scrimmages, eight games, and then you're right into the playoffs. Whoever stays healthy, whoever gets hot at the right time, and whoever does that will uh, bring it home. Do you, you know, you don't need to make a prediction, unless you want to make a prediction right now of who's going to win. Make a prediction. I have a, I have a feeling you're not going to get, oh, no, actually, no, first, do you want to make a prediction, Damian? I probably won't. I mean, I have... <laughs> I have I have a couple of teams in mind that I think can uh you know bring it home, um but like you know, I'll keep the, I'll keep those. Cool. Do you have I mean Seth is in the tournament. Is there is there a team that you're going to be rooting for? Are there players that you're rooting for in particular? Because I feel like that's allowed, right? People can have rooting interest in it. Yeah, I mean, there's you you can you can I mean at least I differentiate from you know, being a player versus being a fan, so. From, you know, the fans uh, side of it, you know, I'd, I'd love to see, uh, you know, obviously Seth win one or the Jazz and see Donovan and George win one. Um, but, I mean, it's it's tough because the two teams that I'm, like, you know, not so much rooting for, but, like, that I have, you know, close relationships with guys, they're both in the Western Conference. <laughs> So, you know, if they both do make it there, then, uh, you know, they, one of them will have to get knocked out in order to win it all. So. What do you think about the strength of the West right now? How much has it even changed? Like the Warriors have had their dynasty that was so fresh, but now other teams want to compete and meet them at the top. Like what kind of changes have you seen in just one year, two year, three years, as far as the strength of the West? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, there was a, there was a point during the league where, you know, you know, even back in the in the eighties and nineties, you know, they had the whole big three and all that stuff, and even you know, Chicago and but even like you know, Shaq and Kobe. Then it started going to like two man powerhouse, you know, teams, and then you have the Spurs that had the three headed horse. It's kind of teetered between three headed horses or two man whatever, like two man superstars, like all stars, and I think. You know, it was sort of the big three for the last couple of years. I think now it's sort of, you know, two-man teams and then everyone else is not role players, but it's like everyone else, you know, fits in or whatever they need to do and they, uh, you know, go in. I feel like, I mean, even Damon CJ, Bron and AD, Kawhi and PG, like they're always marketed as uh, Russ and James, always marketed as these two names and then, you know, everyone else, not saying falls in line, but, you know, does what's needed from them in order for them to be successful. So it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot riding on the shoulders of, you know, those two or three big names that are on each team. But I mean, you always say if, if, if they hit a game winning shot or a big time shot, that's why they get paid the big bucks. So, you know, it's just a matter of seeing who, uh, you know, is ready to play. I mean, that's partially the reason uh, we had Tom Haverstrow on at one point. He said part of the reason that he just assumes that the Warriors will get back into contention next season 
was because if healthy, and again, obviously that's the biggest caveat for anything, is that you're mentioning these two man teams, not, not, sorry, not two man teams, but uh, double bro teams. <laughs> and, um, you know, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, that's three all-stars right there. That's, that's still a big three, if you want to consider it that, you know, and then some really great cast of supporting role characters. So really in truth, he, that's why he goes, well, I just don't see another team that has that third person that could be elevated to that level. And that's why just the Warriors automatically should be in contention next season. Yeah, I mean, as as I said before, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm I've I haven't, you know, been there yet as a player, so I don't want to speak on it. You know, I'll leave it up to the big dogs. Um, you know, I, I just want to go out there and, you know, solidify myself as, you know, an important piece on this team, an important piece in, in the uh, NBA. This reminds me to ask you, what kind of headspace do you think Clay Thompson is in? You know, with all the layoff that he's had to take because of his injury and now coronavirus, what kind of season do you think he's going to be hungry for next year? I, I don't like speaking to people, but I feel like he, he wants to, you know, show people that he is the, if not the best two-way guard in the league. Um, he's, 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 you know, done it before. Um, and, you know, throughout the season, uh, you know, there were, you know, talks about him, you know, people thinking he wouldn't be back. I think he's, he's, in, a, he's in a pretty good mind space, uh, mind, mindset, headspace, all that. Um, I think he's just ready to go out there and play. Um, I mean, obviously it's tough. We've, we've had you know, several conversations before about, you know, rehab in regards to the ACL and, you know, coming back from it and how I – did it, and we'd always joke, well, damn, D. Lee, I don't know how you did this twice, because this is just a lot going through at once, so we, you know, have that relation, have that bro team, have that relationship, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's just cool just to see him, uh, you know, what he's been through from going through it, and then now, you know, wanting to come back and uh, just go all out. It looked like Clay did his best to be a presence last season as well. We saw him a lot on the bench. I imagine he was in the locker room pregame. He was like working out in full uniform. I think he just wanted to taste it again. Um, is there a behind the scenes story you could share about something Clay did last season, something we didn't see that was maybe meaningful for a player or the team? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say like, well, I mean, obviously just him working out in his uniform and all that stuff, like pregame, like that should show not only myself, but like a lot of the younger guys that like, yeah, he's not playing, but like he wants it. Like he's envisioning him, like he's, he's putting himself in the game without playing in the game, just having that mindset. Um, but I think there was, you know, a lot of times where he just pulled younger guys aside or, you know, and kind of just give guys little little tidbits and it's, it's unique to see because, you know, we're everyone's so used to seeing Clay being quiet or being like reserved, but hearing him actually speak up and talk out and, you know, give some input is huge. Um, that's a huge step, you know, not only for him, but even for, you know, the team and a lot of the younger guys seeing him as a, as a big brother and as an influence. So we do have some fun questions for you, but before we get into some of those fun stuff, I, I do have to ask you, and, and I see you wearing the shirt and unity. And I mean, 
it's important that we do talk about this and that the conversation still goes on even when if you know the narrative the <laughs> there's so many different things going on in the world right now it always shifting where people are putting their focus but black lives matter the the movement the marches the protests um how do you see the nba and players such as yourself and coaches actually inspiring or supporting the movement and the change and doing what they can given their platform. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's huge. Obviously, with you know the protests and everything, and everyone speaking out on all the injustices that have happened. Like we we know that this stuff didn't just start you know two months, three months ago. Like this is stuff that has been going on for years and years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, and stuff that we've always had to overcome. And one thing that I would you know tell people is like we were born black. We didn't we didn't wake up one day and say eh. I think I think I'll be a black person today. It's that we were born into this. So there's whether it's the systematic oppression, whether it's the injustice, like there's been a lot of times where we've had to deal with it. I've had encounters with the police before, I've been pulled over, I've I've had, you know, I've been racially profiled and it's kind of normally where we just brush it off. We're like, all right, here they go messing with us again. But now it's like this is the time for us to you know, stand up, show that Black Lives Matter isn't that we feel like we're better than white people or Asian people or Latino people. It's we're all equal, but we want you to know that the stuff that we go through is not similar to what everyone else goes through. We always have to fight an uphill battle, but we're, we don't complain about fighting the uphill battle. We go about our day, we put our hard hat on and we, and we, and we keep on moving. But now that it's, you know, a lot of it has been, is being brought to light and there are some changes. We have to understand that the change isn't gonna be immediate because of whether it's who's in office or who's, you know, the Congress or who's helped run this country because they're already stuck in their ways. We have to find a way to try to change the youth and try to impact the youth to show them that, you know, in 20, 30 years, we don't have to live the way that we live or the way that we grew up. Um, so, you know, it's just continue to try to do that. Obviously, you know, I, I applaud the NBA and, and giving guys a voice. Um, I do wish that there were some other messages that, you know, could have been used, um, you know, in regards to what guys are going to put on the back of their jerseys, um, instead of, you know, just like a blanketed statement, um, giving guys, you know, an ability to express themselves, um, even more, but, you know, kind of take what we can get and just while we're down there still try to push this and show that this isn't a moment like this is a movement this is literally how we live day in and day out and it's not something that we're going to let people try to degrade us anymore or try to talk down on us because we've been through a lot of a lot of stuff and a lot more you know stuff that's hasn't been seen but a lot more is being brought to light now because people are, you know, putting their cameras up and showing their phones. So, you know, it's just a matter of continuing to do this, continuing to, you know, try to promote change, promote love, and, uh, you know, try to promote justice and stop all the, uh, cut out all the other stuff. What do you think about these conversations, really important conversations, also funneling through sports and our players feeling empowered to continuing uh, like continuing to talk about racism and police brutality um, when they have this platform are you guys kind of sensing your power to um to keep these issues um 
alive and ultimately arrive at change and justice? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know who's, I think it might've been Jalen Brown. It's like, at the end of the day, like, yes, I'm a professional athlete. I am, that is what I do that pays the bills. I love it, I enjoy it, but like, I'm a black man first or a black woman or like, and seeing the stuff that like we've had to go through and then also recognizing our platform, knowing what, knowing how, you know, we can affect change we have to continue to understand our platform in that we can. Um, you know, I mean, even seeing stuff on Twitter where like fans in Utah have been going at Donovan because he's been saying, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff and they'll go back with All Lives Matter and all this and, you know, Black boy go dribble the ball for us and all this. And it's like that, like, that shit, like people are trying to politicize uh, whether it's Black Lives Matter or even with this COVID stuff. People are trying to politicize and take you away from the main point of what we're trying to do. We don't, we don't want to fight. We don't want, like, we just want justice. If that's too hard for you to understand, like, well, like I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. That's all we want is justice. That's all we want is equality. <laughs> it's not like we're asking you to give us a million dollars. We're not asking you... We don't, we don't, we don't want your homes. We don't want, like, we want justice. We want equality. And we won't stop until we get it. And that's, it's, it's not like it's like a threat or anything, but like, we're tired of the suppression, of the oppression. We're tired of what we've been going through, what our ancestors have gone through. And like you said, through sports, this is the way that we can not only try to change it here in our country, but change it around the world. I mean, uh, yeah. I, and I, I can tell you, and I don't want to speak for you, Kareth, but I know you and I both agree with everything uh, Damien is saying here. And, you know, you speak on what Donovan has to go through and the messages he's gotten. Um, but, you know, what has been, what's it been like for you in terms of support and what you've been hearing from people, either your friends or, or the, the Bay Area or fans or uh, what type of support are you hearing? Because, you know, I, I, and, and I'm sure, you know, and you can speak on this too. There's only so much at some point that African-Americans or the black community can say, right? At some point, it's the people that have been oppressing that actually have to say something or change something because there's only, you know, the, the one that's oppressed can only say so much before, you know, things actually change. So what, what are you hearing and, and how has it affected you through this process? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, well, I mean, I've definitely been having some, I mean, not some, definitely been having a lot of support, um, you know, in the stuff that we've been doing and, you know, whether it's the change that we've been trying to make and even with, you know, in the, in the youth community or even in the black community. Um, but a lot of it, sorry, a, a lot of it, um, even just from like colleagues, like, you know, people that aren't black or aren't, you know, African-American or people of color, you know, just trying to understand and just like, not not talking and just trying to understand and then you know be able to formulate a decision from there whether if they weren't educated about it when they were younger and it's like those are the people that you that you want that um what do they call it? it's not it's not allies it's like you want an accomplice because it's like if we go down then like you're going down with us like like that's how I know that like you you're like really, you know, there and you're not saying down for the cause and posting a Blackout Tuesday uh, photo on Instagram and then 
you know, posting uh, something else MAGA two weeks later, like just doing something because it's down for the cause, showing that like you're trying to understand, you're trying to help empower us, or trying to even speak up for the people that are scared to speak up for themselves. I think that's that's like a true testament of of power, of of strength, of you know, courage, um, not only from the black community, but you know, the other communities that are trying to find ways in which they can help out, which is mainly just understanding and then putting things into action rather than saying, what can I do for you or how can I help you? There's the internet, there's research. You see everything that's gone on. I'm pretty sure you can formulate how to help rather than asking, how can I help? Do the work. There's got to be accountability involved as well. As I look at your shirt, and just for people listening on the podcast who can't see it, it's U-N-I-T-Y, Unity, and the I is the Black Lives Matter fist. Where did you get that shirt? Uh, so I actually got it from um, my guy that makes shirts in Louisville. Uh, it's called 502 Originals. His name's Simi. He partnered with another guy that has a nonprofit in Louisville, and they uh, were uh, sending out these shirts. So if we could definitely do like a screen grab of it, I want to oh, take yeah. picture yeah. and post it for him. Yeah. This will be on YouTube. Oh, solid. Yeah, we're, we're going to get that. I want one of those. So I'm going to be honest with you. I do too. Gonna, yeah, say it again. 502, what is it? 502 Originals. I'll, um, I'll send you guys both his, uh, his Instagram handle. That's nice. awesome. That's, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, we could do a podcast every single day discussing this issue. And, you know, hopefully um, more and more is discussed. And not just discussed, actual change happens from it because you got to ride the momentum as much as possible because there's so many times the discussion has started, but nothing has ever come from it. And I think, um, and I feel like um, part of the reason uh, you and so many athletes are finally willing to kind of just put it all out there, put all the chips on the table, because at some point you're just, you're just fed up and it's like, what else are you supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, there was, I mean, there was one point where, it just, there was so much going on. And I, I know I'm not the only one I felt this way in, in, in any community. It's just like, you just see it day after day and it's five days go by and six people are killed by the police and all this. And it's like, you're just like emotionally scarred. So then you're driving down the street and you see a cop car behind you. And what's your, what's your initial thought? It's like, all I want to do is make it home. And that's, that's it's, and it's it's scariest the, the scariest thing is and I, I heard this growing up is like scariest thing in our community is to leave and be unsure to like have doubts that you'll make it home whether it's late at night and you see a cop car and it's 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 scary because it, it it happens a lot more than has been recorded or videotaped and you know, obviously, I, I, I'm not like black versus white. There's, there's none of that. But there's the point where people say, oh, well, more white people get killed by the cops every year than black people. And OK, I, I understand that. I don't want anyone to die from anything, whether it's you know, I, I want us all to die at 105 of old age. You just happen to go in your sleep. That's the most peaceful way. But if you look at the percentages, I believe white people make up 46% of the country. It's somewhere in that, the mid 40s. Black people make up 13%. So if you look at that, if you look at the numbers and you break it down, 
majority of 13% getting killed by cops. That's like, that's where I'm emotionally scarred. That's where I can't think. That's where it's like, I don't want to think, am I next? And, you know, I, I have a wife, you know, I eventually want to start a family. I'm a son, I'm, I'm a brother. Like, I don't want to think, am I next? And that's like the scariest thing in our community because when you're driving in the car or you're, you know, late at night or something happens, it's not, oh, that's Damian Lee, the basketball player. That's not the first thought that comes into someone's mind. Like, that may be the second or third thought, but it's like, tall African-American man with dreadlocks. Does he fit that description of whatever we're looking for? Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's real. And it's, it's scary to live in a world like that. But, you know, like I said, there's sometimes where we just brush things off, but I think now we're kind of tired of just brushing things off. I guess you're talking about the way that communities are policed differently as well, that kind of impacts these numbers. Um, yeah. That that as well. <laughs> I don't, I wonder if we can go there and you tell me if you're comfortable with this. Do you remember at what age you first heard a racist joke? Middle school, I wanna say, so I lived in New York till I was still after sixth grade, seventh grade. Seventh grade, uh, I got called N-word. Like I was, I was bullied. This is when I moved to Maryland. So there's this place in Maryland um, where I lived it's called Perryville. And it's not that far from Rising Sun. And Rising Sun, Maryland is where there was like a lot of like KKK people there. Um, like back in the day. And obviously, well, still, you know, their descendants or whatever for today. Um, so, yeah, I was seventh grade. I was a new kid, transferred to middle school, obviously, not even from the state, whatever. And there was these kids that was bullying me. He was like, you know, proceeding and calling me the N-word, knocking my books out of my hand. And, you know, I didn't have any friends. So, I, you know, act, I, that happened the first time. The next time it happened, I acted out and I reacted and... You know, we got in we got in a little scuffle and I got in school suspension for it, but you know, that that stuff happens and then I've there's been times where I was driving my car, uh driving and um, you know, by home and I'm probably like three blocks away from home and it's nighttime and I drive, I'm going the speed limit, cop pulls around, pulls out of the parking lot, pulls up to me asked me to get out the car, um, you know, checked my everything, did the license, registration, all that. Gave me a citation, said, I don't know, said I was like driving in between lanes or something. And there was another time when I was in DC, me and my friends were going out. I was 17 or 18. Um, and same thing, I was driving in DC. I think speed limit was like 35. I was going like 30, maybe 35 driving i see a cop this was like two years after that first incident with the, the cop um i see a cop and he's coming down the street and i'm driving down and i see him and, and i see me and two of my friends and i'm like i'm like watch he gonna pull us over and i'm driving i'm driving i go right through he turns around comes right up behind me 
tells all of us to get out the car. I get out the car. They start searching the car. Do you have anything? Do you have any drugs? Do you have anything? No, you don't have anything. We're literally outside the car for like 40 minutes. They're like taking stuff like out of, out of my trunk, taking stuff out of my trunk. I had like bags because me and my mom just moved. I like trash in like my back seat on, on, the, on the floor, taking stuff out of my back seat, like putting it like on the ground, like rummaging through it. And then whenever they felt like it was fine, then they were like, all right, there's nothing here and just left. And I had to, you know, put the stuff back in the car. Yeah, it's like that 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 stuff happens and it's it's real and it happens and it's 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 crazy. But it's you know, like I said, it's one of those things where it's like they just messing with us, like they just want they want us to have a reaction so then they can say that, you know. What is the psychic toll of being presumed to be dangerous or guilty? Do you have, what, does rage boil inside of you? I don't know how to put it another way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to be as calm as possible. Obviously, like, my mom's always told me whenever there's, like, whenever I go in a store, don't have a hood on, don't have my hands in my pockets, um, you know, just just because if something, if something like that happens. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely rage. Like, I, I just try to stay as calm as possible as I can in those scenarios because, you know, it, like I was saying, if I act out in some form or fashion, then for them, they can just say it's self-defense. Or they, and, and it gets, boom, next, next case or next thing. And it's, it's scary because it's like you're always taught to protect yourself. But how can you protect yourself? And, like, not, not – uh, let me say this. Not all cops are bad. Like, there's – I – I don't agree that all cops are bad. But there's just some people that have that, I feel like they either may have been bullied when they were younger or something. So then them being a cop, they feel like they can you know, stick their chest out and have that authority in which they feel like they can control a situation. And sometimes a situation doesn't even need control. It just needs to be diffused more than to be controlled. And that's, I think that's the toughest thing to decipher. It's like you, you can't get mad and you can't get angry. You kind of have to try to be as calm as possible and be as transparent if you, you know, do have something in your car or if, you know, you're on your way somewhere, just, hi, officer, I'm on my way here. I'm going here. That's that. Like, don't retaliate. That's, that's, and that's one thing I always tell kids whenever I'm talking to them through my nonprofit or, if I'm just talking to like a group of youth, it's like don't retaliate because the worst thing that could happen in that split second is something goes wrong for five seconds and you don't make it home. You don't get to see the next day. So tough. What is your nonprofit, Damien? Uh so it's called the Leeway Foundation. Um, but we're actually in the midst of we're actually gonna rebrand it. Um, we're still in the midst of figuring out uh no, an, another name for it. Um but the Leeway Foundation, uh, it stood, stood, stands for Leveraging Excellence Through Experiences, kind of a play on my last name. Um, so, yeah, just trying to help. Uh, our target group is sixth through ninth graders, um, youth, whether, you know, they may be bullied or, you know, kids growing up in single-parent homes or, you know, not the most, uh, you know, normal situation. But then again, what is normal, I guess, in this day and age? Um, but, you know, just trying to help out the kids, trying to give them confidence, uh, 
teach them about etiquette, um, how to how to tie a tie, how to cut a steak. You know, there's there's a lot of kids that really haven't you know been taught this stuff, whether it's having manners or how to conduct yourself in an interview. Um, you know, so just trying to do like things like that to just help the youth, financial literacy. Uh, yeah, trying to help them out. I like that. I like that. I mean, I, it's hard to even pivot to uh, <laughs> more Bro, fun questions. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, just for just quickly for those fans out there that, that got a chance to watch Pro Pets made from last season, got any updates on uh, Quavo and Nobu that you can give to everybody? Yeah, they uh... – Quavo and Nobu, they are doing great. Just got them washed uh, the other day, so they're all clean. Um, Nobu's way more comfortable with us. Like, obviously, now he'll do the thing where he, like, if I go and try to play with him, he'll go on his back and, like, surrender and try to, like, And then, uh, I mean, Quavo's our quote-unquote firstborn, so that's our first pup. He's literally like a child, so he – uh. You know, sometimes he gets he he gets the you know stage five clinger, uh, but you know most of the time they're just playing around uh, somewhere in the house. Which one's the husky? Nobu. Nobu. Okay. How have they been doing during quarantine? Because you guys are home a lot. Like, what kind of things are they noticing that are different in the house? I think they're abusing the fact that we're home a lot because they're trying to go on longer walks or trying to even go on walks, period. Um, I think they were used to when like we would travel or we like wouldn't be in the house. They could, you know, wake up, we take them on like a 20, 30 minute walk, they get their naps, they fight throughout the day. But now since like they know that we're gonna be home, they're like, yeah, let me go lay on the bed. Let me wake you up, let's <laughs> out for a walk. An hour goes by, actually, can you let me go outside now? Nah, forget it. I'm not going to go in the back. Let's go on another walk. So it's interesting how smart they are, but, I mean, you got you got to love them, right? That's awesome. I do actually have one, one quick question, too. I saw it on Instagram. It was, it was Cannon Curry's birthday the other day, and something that just, just had to be discussed. Uncle Sadell. Explain this one. We've got Uncle Damien and Uncle Sadell. This is a new one. Can you explain that for us? So <laughs> it's long story short, like Cannon like loves me. Like we always like whatever. Obviously he loves Sidel. But whenever he sees me, he says Uncle Damien or Uncle Damien. And then because he associates me and Sidel together, he'll call her Uncle Sidel. And then um we'll be like, no, Auntie Sidel. He'll be like, Uncle Sidel. So, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's like when he wants, like sometimes he'll say Auntie Sidel, but right 70% of the time, it's Uncle Damien and Uncle Sidel. He's two years old. How was his birthday? It's dope. It was dope. It was nice. Uh, I mean, just the fact of, you know, obviously just kids, right? Just growing up. Um, it's crazy to see how fast time goes and how like big they get uh how smart they are i think like this generation of children is so like obviously they have the technology they have all this stuff so like the ability to learn is much easier than like when we were younger it'd be like oh i don't know something go to the library go to the encyclopedia go to the dictionary now it's just like youtube and learning like 
shows all on TV and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting situation. It's so unique that it's almost like uh, the, the Curry children are part of the first family because the Warriors Nation just obviously, you know, has watched them grow up as well. So even they're like, Cannon's two already? I can't believe it. You know, as if it's, it's, it's part of the family. It's part of Dub Nation. That's, that's you know, hopefully. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's just, I mean, I, obviously, like, them and, you know, their kids, but even, like, um, one of my other, well, my, my best friend's son is two, and one of my other friends, uh, he actually played uh, preseason. He played in the G League. Oh, and Antonius Cleveland. Mm, yeah um, his son's almost, almost one so it's just even thinking like damn like time really flies by <laughs> like obviously with us traveling and doing all this stuff but it's like seeing how big these kids get I'm so messed up I thought his son was turning two this year I was like yeah you ready for his second birthday <laughs> he's turning one bro I'm like damn it's awkward. <laughs> oh that's good that's good <laughs> We have talked about so much. Grant, is there anything you want to touch on? Um, you know, I was going to just uh, make a joke and say who, like, how badly do you want to play with Giannis or something? But, I, you, know, you know, I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to do it. Uh, I just, just – you can just shake – yeah, yeah, do the, the, this motion. That's been cut. That's been cut. No. Um, Damon, really just – really appreciate your time with us and just your answers are incredibly thoughtful and insightful and – Man, we're we we're rooting for you. We really are. It's it's uh, you're an easy person to root for. Yeah, uh, thank you guys so much. I mean, obviously, you know, having me on this is this is the makeup from what we were gonna have in uh, <laughs> mid March. So you know, here we go. <laughs> a couple months later. Well, Damian, thank you. We appreciate you, and thanks for being on the Run and Place podcast. Yes, let's let's get it. <laughs>